Welcome to the third episode of the Garrett Schalke podcast. I'm uh, Garrett Schalke. And today's guest, hold on a sec. <clears throat> Still have a cold, by the way. Uh, today's guest is a friend of mine from long ago. Knew him, knew him at first here in Kalamazoo when I moved. He's a worldwide, worldwide musician in a band called, and please God, I. I really hope I am not fucking up this. Uh, <laughs> He's in a band called the Shalvani Charlatans. Ooh, that's a good one. The, it's called Skuljani Charlatans, but the thing is, it's a made-up name. Well, and you can say it pretty much any way you can read it. So, how do you say Shlovani? Shlovani. I like that. Actually, the name comes from somebody fucking up our name. Because we used to be Skugan. Which oh, means forest. I I would like get into that, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, world world traveling musician, uh, artist, <laughs> and all around other great stuff that I could say to you right now to flatter and embarrass you. <laughs> uh, Charton code, everyone. All right. Well, Charton, thanks for being here again, man. Yeah. I know you have a show tonight that I plan on attending, and you've. Had our stuff going on, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to come talk to me on here. Cool. I'm always happy to meet with old friends and that are doing things like interviews, videos, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so like I said, uh, you're playing tonight at Old Dog, and uh, I believe this is the third time that I've seen you uh, perform since uh, since basically you moved to. Uh, to Europe. Yep. Like, uh, I remember the first time seeing you was actually back when I lived at Black Lodge and I booked you. Mm-hmm. Back, uh... 2013, maybe? 2012. And, uh... 2012. Yeah, and, uh... That was before you were known as Charlatans. Exactly. Uh, what was... What were you called beforehand? Oh, yeah, I started to tell you the... We used to be Skugan, which was because my accordionist was Swedish. And... Skugan means forest. So we got into this like simple name, just basically like really minimalist name or something. And it kind of like infers wood and like old natural stuff or whatever. So we were into that. But then there's already this metal band called Skugan. And then our second tour in the U.S. No, was it our first tour? Yeah, our first tour in the U.S. They made this big promotion for us in Cleveland at... uh, this old, it's called like old, uh, old world Wednesdays. They did every Wednesday like old, like European music. So, and then they had spelled our name instead of Skugan, they spelled it like Skojan. Oh, and oh. Uh. So we were like, whoa, we like that that they misspelled it. And so then we made the spelling of Skojan even more complicated by putting the Z in there in an accent on the A, so that it was looked more Hungarian. Well, to be completely truthful here, I actually used to pronounce it Skogan. Yeah. Which kind of sounds like that one 
was it chewing tobacco brand skull oh skull yeah well that yeah. would make sense <laughs> i mean they're both scandinavian all right all right so uh what are your uh, position what's your position in the band uh well the band is like pretty much me and who i'm playing with at the time so i've probably played with 25 people in this band but usually I have an accordionist that I'm working with, and we're kind of a duo, and then we add on a bassist, another violinist, a guitarist, a drummer. So this last summer in Europe, we were Janos on accordion, and Adam on drums, and me on violin. Uh, and so, yeah, my position, I guess I would say I'm the creative leader, and the uh, composer violinist the vocalist play bass sometimes so it's uh actually for this concert tonight at old dog i'm not calling it skujani charlatans i'm calling it uh charlatan code because <laughs> charlatan code trio yeah charlatan code trio or the charlatan code trio <laughs> oh very nice just smashed them together and yeah it's like well i am the charlatan of the Skujani Charlatans. Yeah, let's see. You're playing tonight, and you're playing another Dayton Kalamazoo, too, right? Yes, I'm playing Zaruna's on the 21st. That is Sunday. Zaruna's a Mediterranean food restaurant. Yeah, are you currently on tour right now? Kind of. So, actually, I am with my wife and my kid, and we we got a flight from Chile to... Detroit and we're staying with my parents and I just set up some shows and I have a band of Michiganders so it's not this is the first time I'm playing with not people from Europe it's actually me and some locals yeah I I said it before on the post that you made a while back but congratulations to you and your wife on your child thank you alright wow this is actually a huge story of yours since of since I have fo- followed you since I met you mm-hmm. and, and since you moved. So maybe we should just start from the beginning, I guess. Sure. All right. So uh, Charton, uh, born and raised here in Kalamazoo. Yeah, well, I wasn't born. I was born in Geneva, New York, but I moved to Kalamazoo in 92. I was two years old. And I lived here until I was 17, except I lived in Norway for two years different periods when I was 7 and 10 years old so that time in Norway gave me a little taste of Europe or somewhere outside of US or Michigan and then I was studying in SUNY Purchase in New York and I came back to Western to save money and just easier easier lifestyle and then I was kind of getting sick again during the uh my time here, I really wanted to go to Europe, so I w- went to go study in Hungary and then Germany. And I graduated from WMU with my while well, I was in Germany on study abroad, uh, and um, then I stayed there. It, is it like an official WMU program, or did you transfer your credits over? Yeah, so it was a partnership program, like an exchange program. So it's like one. Western student goes to Germany and one German student comes to Western. Oh, okay. So it was, and I had to transfer the, I mean, 
when I'm the thing the technicality is if I'm I'm in Germany but I'm tech but I'm like technically in Western still oh, okay. so the credits I needed to transfer like I had a process of like determining how many credits my class was worth and what class it fit into because I had to fill some gen eds so for example I had a uh, uh, science with the lab and in my school in Germany there was only one science with the lab it was zoology and there they were it was the last year they were offering that program and i had to like translate the german description of the class to english to show that it fit the wmu gen ed requirement so it was a little tricky to like do that kind of uh thing but normally they just make the transfers quite easy all right okay uh i guess to stick uh here in kalamazoo okay uh you moved here and you grew up and uh, actually, when I first uh, booked, booked you guys at the Black Lodge, when I was uh, talking to some of my housemates, particularly my uh, friend Andy, Andy Argo, mm. you now I told, you now I was describing, I'm like, yeah, he's from County Zoo too, you know him? So I showed him your picture. He's like, oh, yes, I remember him from high school. <laughs> All right, so, uh, oh, so uh, growing up, did you uh, have a big interest in uh like what you do now you know hungarian gypsy european folk music was this always a uh interest of yours well my parents danced uh world and balkan and european especially folk music uh once a week here in kalamazoo but during the 70s and 80s this balkan dance scene was more popular in the u.s and my parents kind of caught the tail end of that and so I had my parents listen to Hungarian and Balkan and Norwegian folk music. So I, I was in festivals as a kid, as one year old, three years old, five years old. And I was involved with uh, Norwegian folk music with my mother. So I had kind of these sounds in my head uh, from CDs and from performances that I was at as a kid. And most of that... Uh, I, I, it's like a vague memories, you know, and I, it's like I can hear uh, this kind of music and I feel like I know it in a deeper way just from because it was something that was really prevalent in my early childhood. So I came back to that uh, when I was like 19. I started getting more interested in listening to these songs I used to listen to when I was a child. And with the encouragement of my parents and my uncle who plays Hungarian folk music in Wisconsin, uh, they told me, well, if you're going to study in Hungary, you might as well like try to connect with the folk music scene there. So it was because they knew that there was a strong folk music scene and they were able to direct me a little bit, tell me like, oh, Chardash or some name of something. Then I start searching for it. And I was when I was in Hungary, that's when I started really looking for folk music and trying to go to folk music events and start learning it. Yeah, were there any uh, particular artists or groups that you've uh, liked growing up or was it, as you just said, you know, pretty much all melted together as one big type of music growing up? Yeah, so my, my uncle had a band in Wisconsin that I saw like twice what pl played like a f Balkan fusion called Reptile Palace. And so, and he now he has a uh, Hungarian folk trio, and 
then, but I think there wasn't really any specific band that I grew up like not like loving or knowing. Uh, in terms of folk, it all kind of blended together, like you said. All right. Uh, what was your uh, what was the first instrument that you really learned how to play? Cello. Cello. Yeah. Uh, anything particularly particularly attract you to that? Actually, when I was so when I was like two and three, before I played cello, you know, I would play. I had a little violin case I'd carry around with a paper violin, and I had a cardboard bass. So actually, I was most attracted to bass. I did some performances where I would just stand on the stage and pretend to play. And so I wanted. My parents asked me, "What do you want to play?" And I said, "Bass." And they were like, okay, well, a three-and-a-half-year-old can't play bass because it's too big. So they started me on a little one-eighth size cello. Do you try to give, do you give a shot, though? I did eventually, uh, in, when I was in fourth grade, you can start learning an instrument in school. So I chose to learn the bass. And I learned, I had it for, I think, all of fourth grade. I was uh, learning bass and practiced it. But then I was like, man, I'm so much better at cello and it's so much smaller and bass is like, I got to carry this big thing around. And so then I was like, yeah, I'm just going to play cello because I'm better at it. And I'm going to have a band where I can have a guy to play and carry that one. <laughs> yeah, I can have somebody else. Well, they, also in middle school, they were lacking a ba bassist in the jazz band. They gave me an electric bass and I was kind of, I got it. But I was like just not interested in it, which is really funny because I was like, I think in ninth grade, I really wanted to play electric bass. My parents wouldn't like buy me one, but in seventh grade they were trying to make me play it. <laughs> well, anyways, now I'm I am playing electric bass. I this I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I just All right. Well, so I guess <laughs> officially, let's make it canon. Uh, what what instruments are you prolific in playing? Uh, prolific? Like, what, does that mean, like, perform with? Yeah, that you, that you're, uh, good at performing with, that you do often. Yeah. Or that you can even do, like, in a pinch. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because prolific makes it sound like I'm, like, a great master. Uh. Well, I think you're great. And on this podcast, that's all that matters. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's violin and the three-string Hungarian viola and upright bass and electric bass are actually the four instruments that I perform with regularly. And depending on the band, the formation of Skozhani Charlatans, I switch my instrument. Uh, so this summer I was playing upright bass on the street because you're not allowed to have amplification and because we had a guest violinist. So we didn't need another, we, we needed a bassist. But then, when it's just accordion, then I switch to violin. And I mainly would perform with violin because it's kind of the most specific style-wise. I mean, you, really, you can get a bassist who plays jazz and show them the chords, and they can play the song with you because it's some notes and rhythms. But to get the style of the violin is the most difficult. So I end up needing to play violin most frequently all right well uh i guess before we get on to your uh, adventures in europe i guess we should just finish up talking about kalamazoo here 
Yeah. Like I said, uh, I first met you was back in 2009 in the probably some show in the Vine neighborhood at the time. Yeah. And uh, big things I remember you back then was uh, the Neo Shaman, Neo Shaman uh, performances you were putting on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Mask a day. Uh huh. God, there's one other. God, what was it? Let's see. Uh, uh, everyone, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I actually do have a list of questions and info here because <laughs> I am being somewhat, somewhat professional. Good, good. But anyway, yeah, uh, Neo Shaman, Mask a Day, and uh, I know that you have particular interest in uh, I forget what I honestly forget what it's called, but uh. It's a type of teepee or a tent. Oh, yurt. The Numad yurt, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I always wonder, what did did get you into all of these things in particular, since they're so far away? Well, I guess I wouldn't say so far away, but it is kind of different of how you are now. Yeah. Well, I can explain the link. I mean, so I was... In ninth grade, my teacher, my art teacher said, like, oh, you can be, a, like, an artist. And that was, I always would write in elementary school, why do you want to be when you grow up? Artist. And I was really in the art. And music was like something that you, I just did because my whole family does music. So it seemed like, well, I have to do something else. Uh, and so then I started doing painting and photography and I was really into art. And as I started to smoke weed and like really wanted like explore like the outer realms of thought and also be kind of I was starting to think that the world was really corrupted and polluted and fucked up and we needed like other solutions outside of uh, the norms what we have I mean I was like looking for extreme solutions like assuming that we were going to have some kind of apocalypse and need to live in a like neo-primitive world where we like have to relearn how to farm like people who are working in offices either die or like learn how to hunt or you know like this oh, yeah. like kind of extreme stuff was what I was thinking of and I still kind of uh, feel like that mostly that we need to like come up with other solutions and like right now yeah. and, and then it's also like a lot of people want to work inside of the system so this whole art stuff was like uh, a quest to be like a famous artist and also like deal with these kind of problems that we have so that's how I got into the neo-shamanism I was like we got a bunch of trash that we are creating that's our main product of like a first world capitalist society and I was thinking that primitives and natives had a lot of answers to life that we'd lost so that's the neo-shaman was to take like shamanic ideas or of the world and then remake them to a modern society with using trash to build costumes or instruments and stuff. Yeah, yeah. when we uh, first started like hanging out at house shows and that, I don't think it was the Neo Shaman project in particular, but I do remember you talking to me about shamanism mm. and uh, for a while there I did call you Shaman. Like oh that was, yeah, that's my nickname. Yeah, I remember. Which I, which looking back, I don't know whether you liked it or hated it. No, I kind of liked it. I mean, yeah, it was like, it was nice to you, you had come up with something to call me. But uh, uh, 
But I'm basing this too on some past relationships where uh, they'd gone away, unfortunately, and one of the reasons I learned was, was like two of them, was that I had nicknames for these former friends that they did not appreciate, but they, um, but they didn't bring up until that moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. So no, I, I did never have a problem with that. I mean, it was a good solution to calling <laughs> me if you can't remember my weird, difficult name. Well, also, also, I asked you about Jim Morrison at the time, and you gave me a big uh, lecture on how he was cool, but which was basically, well, he was cool, but he was essentially a failed shaman. <laughs> that's what I said. I know it was, but yeah, uh, that's that's really it for uh, Kalamazoo. We hung out in the Vine neighborhood. We had a good time, made art, made love, all that great stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to uh, European adventures. Uh, okay. When did you uh, officially move to Europe? I left the end of January 2011 to do a half a year study abroad in Hungary and then in Budapest. And then I did uh, the following semester, fall semester of 2011 in Hungary, uh, in, in Germany, Passau. And then I graduated. Uh, that January uh, of 2012. So, uh, what what did you get a degree in? Bachelor of Arts. Oh, same here from WMU 2011. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I gra- I graduated in tw- December 2011. Oh, I grad. Well, I finished studying in 2012 January, and then I got my diploma in July or something like that. Oh, okay. Because it took a while to get the credits transferred. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, when you, okay, you first, first land there, you're a student. Yeah. Uh, what, what, was, uh, what was it like, you know, being there for the first time? Well, I've been to Europe sometimes with my family, but always is this, like, great feeling. You arrive at the airport and you're coming out and you're super excited. Like, you're oh. looking around, you see the cars look different, the, the road signs are different, and the buildings are really old. And I I lived in a dorm, but it was in the city. So that first day that I got there, super tired, but I found I met two guys like let's walk around. We kind of got a little lost in the city and had a dinner to kebab. Um, and um, lo- locals or were no, Amer- this was an American study abroad program. So I went oh. walking with two Americans. But yeah, I would I'd been studying a little Hungarian and I knew how to say like what street or how much does it cost or something so I was I was really excited and I w- wanted to get it I think in that first week I bought a, a bike uh, what? what a what a bike like a oh, a bike oh because I you know I was like a little hipster then and weren't, I, weren't we all I was really into biking <laughs> I had like a like a biker cap with a patch on it and I had a bunch of like kind of neon early nineties clothes or eighties clothes. <laughs> I was like, oh. and yeah, I was still into this like shaman, this yurt stuff. I was carrying that project over of the yurts and nomads, and I you still had I, that Kalamazoo vibe on you. Yeah, much. yeah, yeah. So I I had the Kalamazoo vibe, which was like a lot of people found like interesting or refreshing like that I carried my like 
my style and my thoughts so much into it. So it was like, I think I had a lot of like influence just by being there as myself, like with my my style in Budapest at the time. Yeah. To, did you say that uh, you immediately went to music there, or were there other activities that you, other artistic activities? Well, that when you I was still a student, I had uh, I was beginning to learn the folk music like on my own and I was going to this former squat which was an elementary school in the 8th district of Budapest and it was like super cool it was like four stories they had a they had a cafe and a jazz lounge and a yoga studio and a dance studio and recording studios and juggling studios and art studios and it was like Everybody was going there, and it was so amazing. And I had some other friends open a squat called Casino, and I so I was involved. I actually made a yurt building workshop there. Oh, nice! And I was really into this going to this jam where we would like do the circle jam, and I started like, and I was also doing some music. Yeah, with a kind of a there was there's a big hostel scene mainly for Australians, British. United States and Scandinavians, I mean, the white people with the most money in the world who, like, go on backpack tours, and they go to Budapest oh. because it was, like, party city. Like, you can well, just... Well, that's all technically Eastern Europe there, right? Yeah, Budapest is Eastern Europe, but I'm talking that there was hostels specifically for, uh, I mean, that were mainly inhabited by Scandinavians, British, Australians, and Americans that were on, like, a... European backpack tour and they'd get stuck in Budapest because it was so fun the parties and oh. there every Sunday there was this like Jägerbomb train where you drink like 10 Jägerbombs and they'd get totally oh. fucking wasted but they would do like there's a lot of guys that were like like want to be rock stars you know so you'd have an open mic and you'd get people singing Wonderwall every night and it was oh. like you, everybody was so like psyched about being in Budapest and being Jägerbombed up that like you know, it was a big crowd of people, and we'd get, I'd get on stage, and I'd play with all the bands there, because I could just jam along with them. So this was like, you were, in this little microcosm of environment, I was like, for a moment, a rock star, because I was like, you know, I wasn't very good, but to like somebody who just plays like five songs on guitar, it was like amazing that I could jam with them. And so I got really confident about my abilities on the stage and got used to being on stage from that. And uh, But I still wasn't like earning money playing music, really. I was just uh, like enjoying it. So, I, yeah, I also did other kinds of activities like learning to dance or oh, uh, running around. Oh, did you uh, have any jobs, I guess, before uh, before you, I guess you could use the term professional musician oh yeah i didn't almost have any jobs i'm lucky because my grandfather was nasa astronomer and he set up a college fund for me yeah he was the one of the he was the project proposal head for the hubble spacecraft so i've got yeah it's like i don't know where all of his brains went in me because I'm kind of like a hey, retarded name? genius. I'm, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't use that word. But no, what, dude. You, 
Uh, dude, I don't want to sound all alt-right here, but this is a free speech zone. Yeah, anyways, I was just meaning, like, I'm pretty smart, but I'm not, like, a rocket scientist like my grandfather. <laughs> anyways, so, I was lucky because I, ha- I didn't have loans from school, and I, I did teach cello lessons. I corn tasseled as a 17-year-old. I worked at McDonald's for four hours, and then I decided that I would rather... Join. I I skipped out of my next uh, job to go to Food Not Bombs because uh, I was oh. like, man, I would rather be homeless than work at McDonald's. You know, I'd rather like take that step like of trying to survive on the street than work there. So I did that, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And then I start was like, oh my god, I can make money playing music on the street, like. And survive off that. Because I was also into this, like, dumpsterism, freeganism kind of stuff where it was like, where you don't need any money, but you do need money. I mean, if you want to do stuff. All right. Well, uh, okay. The beginnings of uh, the band. Okay. Yeah. uh, How how did that all start? Like, how did you meet your very first bandmates? Well, before Skugan was Polish Coffee... Before Polish Coffee was, I don't even remember the name, it was a band in my school in Germany. And that was like, I played in this band in my school in Germany, and we were doing some covers of Little Lion Man, and then we were like, let's do some more like swing covers. So we started doing some Billie Holiday, and uh, this Brazilian guitarist to me, he called me one day, hey, let, I got an idea, let's go to these bars. So we... My first time going into the bar and asking if I could play for a tip, and they accepted it, and that was like when I knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So at that point, I was calling, uh, my, well, writing my friend uh, Laura Lackey from California, who had been in Budapest when I was there before, and she was coming back to visit her boyfriend in Hungary, and we were like, let's. Uh, I got a friend working at Simplekert, which is the most famous ruin bar there he's in charge of the music so let's set up a show with him and they didn't really pay us it was just for food and but we got this set list and we were like okay you learn these songs i learn these songs and polish coffee was born with laura lackey and robert dakowitz and we some other people joined us for that first concert and we played for about nine months like this and then Wait, you, so were these like just straight up covers or did you like we were a swing band old time so there was at this point no original music yeah. oh okay it was a swing band and we started introducing some folk music into our set and cause actually like we, we were playing with Lulu a violinist and she was really interested in gypsy music so the band started to get more folk music and we started learning more and more but we were basically a swing band and I was this summer <laughs> The Polish coffee and was in Budapest and I was living there. I hosted like 60 or 70 people on couch surfing. One of the guys was an accordionist, Johannes Olsen, and me and him, he started playing with Polish coffee, but we already had an accordionist, so it was like, you don't really need two accordionists. So me and him started this <laughs> separate project with Lulu, and it was like within two months we had recorded our first album, made a music video, and booked a tour in U.S., as a duo. Okay. Alright, so... Uh, and that's when uh, Skugan was born. Okay. Sco- Alright, Skugan. Uh, I don't know, at the beginning of this interview, did you tell me the origin of that name? Yeah, I did. I said Skugan means forest 
in Scandinavian, and it's because me and this accordionist were both Scandinavian. I mean, he's Swedish, and I speak Norwegian, so we were like bonding on that. And uh, and then I told you that the name changed one year later because we were in Ohio, and we got this yeah. name. I changed. do I do remember a post you made about that. I think it was like. We decided to change our names because upon doing an internet search, we discovered like a hundred black metal bands are calling themselves this. Yeah, exactly. There was like one band that had like more views on YouTube and more likes on Facebook. So we were like, Did well, any of these bands like contact you? Be like, hey, no, bro, it was, there's still, the, actually once in New York, I mentioned to somebody on the street the name of my band and they were like, oh yeah, I know that band. You guys are from Norway or no, from Sweden. And, like, I listened to your music, and I was like, no, it must be that death metal band that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you look very different than the guy in the skull skull face paint on the cover here. <laughs> Alright, uh, okay, you formed the band, you've recorded your first album, which is actually an EP. I still got that. Yeah. I think that's the one that you sold when I booked you for Black Lodge. Yeah, it was red. red yeah, cover. Red, red. It had, like, the silhouette guy on the cover. And animals and stuff, yeah. Yep. yep. For my account, you, uh, on your band camp, you guys got about five albums total. Yeah. One EP, one live album, and the mm-hmm. rest are albums, for my count. Uh, yeah, well, let's see. It's kind of like, they're kind of all EP-ish. I mean, because we haven't recorded in, like, a top level studio well well wait wouldn't that still count as an album though you know well the first album is 12 tracks and it was all recorded live so it's kind of like uh not polished up but i don't know 12 tracks would be an album and then we had uh the second one is only seven tracks so that's more like an ep but that's our probably most polished album so the sounds of the are maybe the most crisp or we have really in metronome so it could be mixed when you're DJing. The third album is uh, recorded in Brussels in a squat and it's almost the same as the live album because they're from the same group of band. That's my most different album because it's no accordion. So I got a clarinet, a violin. I'm playing three string viola. We have a guitarron and two percussionists. Uh, and it's more Balkan and Turkish influence. <laughs> and after that, my latest re- album that was released, Taposhi Chichkatans, is uh, recorded in a squat in Switzerland. And it's with multi-tracking. And it's got a guitar and an accordion and a drum set. But the drum set is sometimes looped because he didn't have time to record yeah. with us. And it's almost all my original songs. So that's when I started playing my original songs. And we, we're, I'm happy that I did it, but it's not like uh, as good as I wanted it to be because I really can hear in my head or when we play it live sometimes, it's like getting this essence that we didn't fully get with this multi-tracking and didn't have the resources to really get what we wanted. Well, uh, how has online sales been? Well, we... I mean, I probably earn like $100 a year from online sales. So it's totally way better to have that online and make that money than not. But it's not like a income. It's just like, oh, I have money in my PayPal. Cool, I can nice. order something now. <laughs> All right. So, okay, the, the band's formed. 
you have the album recorded. Uh, how did you? How how long did it take for you guys to start uh, world traveling for a tour? It was right away. Like I said, and we were, I was nine months in Budapest after I graduated with Polish coffee, and then in uh, this was twenty twelve of October. In the end of October, we were like, okay, let's. We recorded that first album, and then in November we were making a music video. Maybe in the very end of November, it was snowing. We were freezing for that music video, and then we booked the tour and we came to U.S. I think we spent Christmas with my parents of 2012, and then that tour really started in 2013. Ah, so maybe Black Lodge. Was just before Christmas or just after Christmas of 2012, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so it was like once Skugan started, Skugan started as going on tour. And since since the December of 2012, I've been like, I haven't spent more than three months in one place. Except for now, my son is here and now I've spent maybe... Four months in one place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, where, where throughout Europe have you guys? Uh, perf- oh, that is awesome. Sorry, <laughs> that's exactly I what this. Po- that's exactly what this podcast needed. <laughs> yeah, it was a fart, by the way. If you didn't hear it, guys, it was by me, and I'm really sorry if you can smell it. Yeah, Charton Co. Everyone seemed tonight old talk. <laughs> smell. Smell. In- indeed, Zach. Zachary Elmblad. Indeed. <laughs> Okay, uh, so where where have you guys all toured throughout Europe? Like, were there any countries or cities where you've gone to more than most? Or right now, the big bucks are in Switzerland. So I've been spending the last two summers mainly in Switzerland. But before that, uh, well, I made a documentary this summer in Romania, in Hungary. And I played a festival in Serbia, and a wedding in Austria, uh, and I didn't really do anything in Germany. No, I bought my car in Germany, because you can buy really great Volkswagens for like 400 bucks, but they're going to expire their registration. They have a higher uh, ecology for the car, so it's like the car's rusted on the bottom, so it's fucked in Europe, but the the motor and everything's good. Wait, it's just did, you did, can't drive it anymore. Well, yeah, didn't they uh, go through a controversy a few months ago where they like lied about the amount of emissions that were coming out of their cars? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's they, that's they like modern it? stuff. I'm talking about cars from '94 oh, to '98. Oh, oh, you got an older model. And okay. those are like uh, really good and cheap, but yeah, they don't last in Europe. Anyway, well, it's like you can get these cars for export. So that's Germany, but I can list all the countries. I mean, I've played in Netherlands and Belgium and France and uh, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Poland. Oh, uh, very quickly. Bulgaria, Turkey. Yeah. Very quickly. Uh, speaking of Norway. Uh, yeah. How do you think about Trump's recent comments? Oh, uh, I, I'm not well, trying. I'm not trying to make this a nice political podcast, but. I just thought about that with this whole yeah totally shithole shit countries. Why can't we bring more people from Norway here? Well, that all came because the day before he met with the Norwegian prime minister, who's uh, was talking about how 
Norway's energy is 98% uh, hydrothermal, I believe. And Trump was like, yeah, we, we really respect that and we hope to see a lot of that here in the U.S. <laughs> and it was like, uh, aren't you like against green energy or whatever? And so like it just this last week in <laughs> politics with Trump has been like seeing him just kind of agreeing with whoever he's talking to. Looks like he's. I, I'm. All, I'm actually starting to feel like sorry for Trump. Like, which is crazy because like you should like hate Trump and. Th- but now I'm just seeing him. He looks like he's like going crazy and he's tired of this shit. Yeah. Which is like, uh, yeah, you shouldn't have got into it in the first place, dude. But wow. it's like I'm. I'm trying to like <laughs> not feel bad for him. I mean, but it looked like. If like, you didn't have any of the history of this stuff, then you're starting to even like feel bad, which is horrible for this kind of like. Well, when, whenever he makes like a nice comment, like the shithole country one, I I immediately think in my head, God, can you not be a fucking meme for like one minute? Yeah. Much. Yeah. So I. But, uh, but based on your based on your experiences in Norway, do you think Norwegians would want to come to America? Oh yeah, so then like the com the retort is the Norwegians are like, dude, you think we want to leave Norway to come to the U.S.? Uh, well, that's just like layers of white privilege and elitism. I mean, Norway is the bet. It's like Switzerland and Norway, the richest white countries. Everything's really looking good for them. They got mountains. They got fresh water. They don't have small populations. They have like really great border control and they're just raking in the dough and they don't have many uh, immigrants there and they they've pro- Norway profits off of their oil reserves and Switzerland's profiting off of their banks and they're on top, their level of, they're in a different zone than us. Like the peop- the those people have everything they want and you think that Americans have everything they want and they do no, if you don't. compare well <laughs> we we do if you compare us with other countries i mean it's just nuts when i'm in mexico or chile and it's like we're struggling to like buy a car and the car costs like $3000 in the us it's like 800 you know or like this kind of stuff there's it's mainly like a like a, in the us our own our biggest privilege is stuff we've got cheapest best food we've got the most stuff like whatever guitars and cars and furniture and shit and we can get it saturated pretty much we're saturated with things so we're like rich in accessibility to stuff in the cheapness i mean norwegians come to the u.s to buy electronics or to buy stuff so u.s has got that i mean we're failing on like uh taking care of the health of our people and like maintaining jobs and environmental stuff our main privilege is that if you want to get things to put (laughs) in your house or to use it's going to be really easy and really cheap and you can deal with selling and buying stuff it's the best in the u.s all right and uh okay when you were mentioning countries there you mentioned uh turkey yeah uh that one i'm really interested in because uh the second time i saw you guys here in kalamazoo at that time, you changed your name to the Charlton's, mm-hmm. and uh, you're performing at some performance space on the Kalamazoo Mall. 
it's like some kind of theater. Oh yeah, that's the that was the Kalamazoo Piano Company, which was formerly like four thirteen. Uh, it was a theater space, and then it was the Kalamazoo Piano Company. That was a super beautiful place, and yeah, that I yeah, sold well, a bunch of hats, and a lot of people came out. Yeah, well, yeah, you didn't really. You were about to perform, so uh, we didn't really have much time to talk then. Mm-hmm. But uh, but when but you but when you're mentioned in Turkey, and you know you had pics on your Facebook page. I believe this was the beginning of uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. Oh yeah, I even mentioned that in the performance. I mean, just before I came back to the U.S., I was in Hungary when the Syrian and other refugees uh, from like Kazakh and Iran and Iraq, or not Iran, from Iraq and Afghanistan had made it uh, into the EU across the Schengen border. Because uh, uh, and I was really involved and in, not really involved, but I saw the process of that because the the Syrian crisis had happened two years before, and you saw the first refugees coming to to Turkey and Istanbul. You saw people with more wealthy parents that were able to get them out before the conflict, and they were going to school in Istanbul. You had people getting jobs, learning Turkish integrating because the Turkish society is really good for integrating. If you can learn Turkish and you're from uh, Arabic countries or if you're from European countries, Turkey is like really uh, accepting of people joining the Turkish society. I mean, the Ottoman Empire was in a lot of places, so they're, they're kind of really nationalist and proud of Turkey. And I was just thinking about that the other day. There's like they have a bigger stakes because Turkey's kind of with Europe and they're kind of with Asia, but they're kind of like their own big power. So they rely a lot on the people being like proud Turkish people to like hold up the strength of their country in economics or military or whatever. And they have, they have fear because they're in the border of the conflict, but there's a lot of like hope and pride in the Turkish people. So you had the Syrians really mixing well there and there's, I mean, Turkey has a Muslim pop- population. It's a lot of people who are not Muslim and that are kind of nothing, but uh, like Scandinavia, you know, it's like Muslim is the general, and you hear like mosques in the air, but it's pretty, especially in the capital, Bud- uh, Istanbul and in Izmir, it's like uh, very Western. Uh, but then I was in Bulgaria uh and there had been a kid, he was a black belt, he was 17 years old in karate, he was the third best in Syria in his age group, and he would escaped by foot into Turkey, and then he would oh. crossed the border also by foot into Bulgaria with just his cell phone, uh, like with oh. Google Maps. Oh, wait, so he had internet on his phone? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was... I don't think he had... Maybe he got a Turkish card and he was able to have internet. Oh, like, okay. I don't know. I didn't know the specifics. I just imagine, well, he's. it's kind of like being on the Underground Railroad. There's a lot of people who want to help you, but you're also kind of being... There's a lot of people who are against you, like who want to report you, and there's people who are looking for you to cross the border so you have to like find you're like probably quite psychologically traumatized from like witnessing horrible events and you're also like feeling on the run 
And if you're just, there was a lot of these like 17 to 22 year old guys who were just like on solo missions to get into Europe. You know, like they, they were like, they'd meet, charge their phones, try to figure out a way. And you have them crossing the borders and they're just like pretty much alone. And their families like back in Syria or some, some of them have like some family members who escape to other countries or they don't know. And so this kid had been like tried to cross to, to Serbia and caught by the Bulgarian police before he got there. Because mm. once you cross the border, then mm. suddenly you are the problem of that country. So the whole point is to try to catch you before you cross the border. So there was like him. He was in a, basically a kind of like a boys' prison or kind of like like a camp with tents, yeah. and you're not in prison. Because you're not serving a sentence, but you're oh, not refu- allowed to a ref- leave. A refugee camp. It was a refugee camp, but you're like, you. it's kind of like prison because you have like paperwork and you need to see like a kind of like a counselor who determines if you're ready to like go be a pseudo legal or illegal guy. So he f- was for like nine months in this camp and then he tried to cross the border again and he was caught and he spent another so few he, months. So he tried to escape. He tried twice to go to Serbia and... Because everybody thinks if they get into Serbia, then they can get into Hungary. And once you're in Hungary, you're free to go in anywhere in Europe. And then you can go to London or Germany and try to get benefits and live there as like a person. Like, you know, try to find a job. And Was this a... Did, did you guys know... Did you know this guy personally or was this a story that you heard? No, I knew him personally because oh, okay. he was... Uh, <clears throat> he'd first... Before he went to this jail thing, he'd been like staying a few nights in one of my friend's houses in Sofia, the capital. Oh, okay. And then he was just missing for nine months. And then he ca- called his friend because he needed somebody to like pick him up when he was released. And so then he was staying again there. And he stayed for a while, but then finally he was like, well, he doesn't really speak so well English, doesn't speak Bulgarian. And he's kind of just like, I don't want to just stay in this guy's house all this time, you know. So he, he was like, finally, we would just, I think they saw him sleeping on the street later. Cause, and oh. he's, it's quite uh, hard to decide what to do, but everybody had this dream to go to Europe, into mainland Europe. So I, I saw like Syrian refugees <laughs> in Turkey, you have ones that were like integrating, but you had also a lot of ones living on the streets. So it's, Turkey had a problem. So... So suddenly you have countries that are getting a concentration of immigrants that don't want to deal with the the extreme amount and they're like okay well, like well we're just going to not really catch them when they cross the border so they got into finally there was this pile up of refugees in Serbia and the European Union was putting big pressure like Serbia do not let these immigrants in because once they cross into Hungary they're free to go anywhere because there's no borders after Hungary Hungary's the border between uh, the Schengen zone. So you had like in the border towns of Serbia, all these immigrants and uh, people are starting to get like sick of them and racist and stuff because they're just crowding everywhere on the streets and trying to cross the border and getting caught. And finally there was just this like Serbia kind of gave up. And they just were like, you know what? You were not part of the EU. We don't get any money from you guys. We're spending our own money from our... We're like a poor nation. We don't really want to put any more resources to like keeping these guys out of your fucking EU, what we're not part of. And so they were just crossing. And my friend lives in southern Hungary. And he got a... He was hitchhiking at the time. He got a ride back from Vienna from this guy with like a 
car with no license plate, and, <laughs> and it was all the seats were gutted. And he what? packed maybe like 10, 10 immigrants in this car and wait, just drove wait. through a field. Wait, what kind of car was this? I don't know. It was like a normal car. I don't know oh, what kind of car. Normal size car. Normal size. Uh, five passenger car but with all the seats removed so he'd been able to pack and he was like it was a thousand euros per person and he would just drive like 90 miles an hour right, uh, yeah. through the grass field into Hungary right, and how, bring him and drop how, tran- much, how, how much is a thousand euros it's like a thousand two hundred dollars oh okay and and then he was like would drop them and switch to they'd switch to another car and then drive to Vienna or Budapest. That was his deal. Whoa. So my friend was getting a ride back from Vienna from this guy who was blasted <coughs> waste to drinking vodka, driving like super fucking fast. And in Vienna, in Austria, they have cameras on the, all the highways. So like every 20 kilometers, you get a, like a $20 ticket if you're speeding. So, but this guy <laughs> would just cover his face. In Serbia, oh, he was like, man, I'm never going to do this again. So he was just covering his face from the cameras coming and just <laughs> whipping, whipping through Hungary. And my friend is like, holy fuck, I'm going to die. He's sitting in the car. Like, so this guy is just drunk, frequently covering his face. He has no license plates on his car. And he's just ripping it because he's, he's, I think he's probably high on cocaine because he's just <laughs> made like $20,000. Like transporting these guys, and he was oh, like, dude. and then they would cross back into Serbia and burn the car, and it was over. And he's just like, dude, and in Serbia, twenty thousand dollars is like a fucking good I, house. Yeah, you know? I, I can only imagine. So it was like a risk of the lifetime, and then you're like, oh fuck, man, I'm rich guy now. Dude, that's intense. That was what was going on then. But the I was at the train station in Kelati in Budapest when they were like piling up there, and yeah, the Hungarians I, were making all this. Racist propaganda, right, like uh, we don't want immigrants, but the immigrants were like, we don't want to live here. We want to go right, to Germany right. or that, London. Was that one of the pictures I saw on Facebook? That, exactly, that's the picture. And I think it's you and uh, one of your bandmates, you know, just standing there, like in the middle, just surrounded by people. Yeah. Can we pause it? I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is we, that okay? Uh, yeah. I'll just cut that. I'll just cut this part out. Okay. I'm actually getting really good at editing. Okay, cool. Uh,
So, uh, those were your adventures in Europe. Uh, okay, so you've been all around Europe. Uh, you've been, you've been to America. Also, you toured, obviously, here in America. Uh, Mexico. South America, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Canada. Nope. I had one show in... What's across the river from Detroit? Uh, uh, Windsor. Yeah, I had a show in Windsor, but I was blocked from going to Canada. Wait, why? Uh... It's because I was running from the police when I was 19 for breaking into East Hall. Oh. And running from the police is a federal crime or like like a felony? Oh, yeah. Resisting the arrest or whatever. That's a felony. So Canada shares the same system with the U.S. So I uh, was blocked from entering Canada because felons cannot enter Canada. Oh, or am I, I don't know if I'm a felon or what. I, I don't know. It's like running from the police is a crime that's high enough to go not into uh, Canada. Uh, I honestly don't know, man. I've never had the pleasure of running from cops yet. Anyway, <laughs> I'm 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 only thirty, so give it time. Oh yeah. Well, if you join some protests, then you can run from police. Oh, uh, well, I was political, like when I. When I like first knew you and that, but yeah. I've moved away from that since 2013. When I moved to uh, Grand Rapids, I've become more focused on uh, my work, which is mostly writing mm. and working my day job, and even doing stuff like this podcast. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Let's get back to you. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, so you so where have you uh, toured around here in the U.S.? Uh, I've done my first tour was Kalamazoo, New York, New Orleans, Kalamazoo. My second tour was New York, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Seattle, and my third tour was Miami, New Orleans, Kalamazoo, New York, New Orleans. Mexico. Uh, so, uh, how how's touring the U.S. compared to touring in Europe? Uh, <coughs> bigger distances, the same language, and uh, more house shows. 
Uh, so in uh, Europe, you're playing more bars and clubs and concert hall spaces. Yeah, Europe. You, I was doing my first tours in Europe were with train and bus and hitchhiking uh, and playing in restaurants and bars. Now, I don't really tour so much. I mainly play in the streets and in front of restaurants and then I get hired for private events like birthday parties and weddings and then I have a few gigs in bars and a few gigs in uh, uh, festivals but so that touring in Europe kind of changed to be more of a like a daily job of playing in the street where in the US I did not do that I was doing more like booking a show as many days as possible and which uh, and having a car so it used to be like US was with car but now I do Europe and US with a car alright any uh, exciting tour stories that you have I do remember one time yeah I believe it was Mexico that uh, you guys got all your shit stolen Oh, that was uh, before Mexico. That was oh, in before. Turkey. That was in Istanbul. Oh, my yeah. shit. My bad, dude. No, it's okay. It was just before we went on tour to Mexico. Uh, well, yeah, that's an interesting story. I did make a little video to try to do it, like a Kickstarter to get some money for buying some instruments and stuff. But we chose a French uh, Kickstarter. What was like you only get the money if you get all the money so we raised like i don't know a thousand dollars and then we didn't get yeah it was called kiss kiss bank bank and we did not get the money that we raised (laughs) and actually most of that money was just for my clarinetist who got two of his clarinets stolen uh dude that sucks yeah but the story goes uh we were in istanbul renting for 15 days a flat uh, with my band and a few other people and that night I went back with a girl and we'd all maybe played a show or we'd been partying together so everybody was pretty drunk and I went home with this girl and they all went back to their flat and I guess they were so drunk that somebody kind of followed them and maybe they didn't close the door and somebody snuck in But we were all pretty convinced that they climbed through the window and drugged everybody. I mean, it could have been everybody was so drunk, they didn't wake up. But that seems pretty unlikely that if you have somebody sneak in your house, that like, there was two bedrooms and there was six people there. So it's pretty hard to, and they went through a lot of people's bags and stuff. So everybody thought that they might have sprayed everybody with something that was like, kept them asleep. Uh, Anything of, what, what? What stuff from you got stolen? Uh, it was actually my my what was it? My computer, or did my computer escape that time? No, it was my computer. Yep. Yeah, I had my computer stolen like three times now. <laughs> And this year I've had my times. phone stolen twice. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's what bad. you get when you, one, dealing with gypsies, and two, 
traveling all around the world with like you know your stuff in you so you just I'm I'm an easy target and I'm around and I'm pretty careful but I'm not like extremely careful so you know I'm like it's part of the risk of being out there in the world and doing stuff you get something stolen and it's fine so uh, I guess besides that little adventure yeah uh, uh, any, any particular uh, store stories on tour that you yeah, would like to tell because I do that's one thing with this podcast is I just want to hear people's stories and I know you definitely got some <laughs> I got a bunch of stories it's just thinking of which story to tell um well I was uh, uh I'm sorry I'm taking some time to think about this hope you can cut my silence out uh, <laughs> that was a good story well okay so we are driving from Texas to Mexico and when I crossed we crossed with Google Maps telling us to go on a bridge well it turns out that bridge was just for people with the special like commuter permit so, like, I get to the other side, and the Mexican border guards are like, well, you don't have this, like, permit thing. Like, actually, my accordionist and my wife and my wife's dog all got out. And they were just free in Mexico, but I couldn't go with my car like that. So they were like, yeah, you're going to have to go back across the bridge. So I crossed the bridge, and... Everybody was nervous because their visas were running out like that day or the day before. And they wanted to get like a stamp out of the country. But uh, I crossed back the bridge and they were like, so what are you doing entering the U.S.? And I was like, yeah, I just went on the wrong bridge. I'm trying to go back so I can go back to Mexico. What's your occupation? Um, I'm a student of folk music. And they got, like, really suspicious because I have this car. So I had, like, ten people searching my car and, like, drug dogs. And I was like, oh, my Wait, God. Was this, was this, like, a long bridge or was it, like, literally you could see the your companions, like, right over the bridge? Uh, it was a you? little longer. I mean, it was, like, it was not, like, a Mackinac bridge. It was, oh, okay. like, uh, <coughs> I don't know how far, 300 meters or some 200 meters I don't know I don't even know what feet are yards uh it's okay so so anyway (laughs) anyways I was fine the 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 shit thing was like I had to pay twice for this bridge like 12 bucks and then I had to go to the other entrance and they let me through and then we were like we got in the we spent some time in the border of Mexico like and our car was leaking like gasoline and we were like fuck it must be the filter so we fixed that and it was like we were like we just want to get the hell out of this town and like get to like we looked on the map okay let's try to get to this town it was uh this what's it called man i can't remember can't remember it starts with a t and it's called the new orleans of mexico no no not it's on the other side okay it's on the other side and uh we were driving like maybe 60 miles or something and then our car is just leaking 
gasoline like a lot. And we're like, holy shit, we're just like this <laughs> car even just three days before had been like leaking transmission fluid and we had to and like the every shit was leaking out of this fucking car. Everything that can leak came out of it. The only thing that it didn't cut out it was basically dying. Yeah, the thing it was just like every tube that was on the car would crack and break and then we'd like figure out, oh, we don't have any transmission fluid. We have to put a new tube on and it was fucking totally <coughs> stressful. But then we were like, oh my God, we have to stop. And we were just like, okay, let's try to deal with this in the morning. And our car smelled like gasoline. And we were just like parked on the side of the highway and went to bed. And we woke up in the morning and like, it was like, a, we like asked this guy in the house if there's a mechanic and they, these guys drove her in trucks and they were looking there, but at the same time there was these guys with like masks on their face, like with black, like just, you could see their eyes walking around with guns and. Wait, was this uh law, Mexican law enforcement? No, this is, uh, the, Ma, this is the, what are they called? The, the cartels? Cartel. Yeah. This is oh, like. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> And, the, and then the guys were like, man, did you talk to those guys? They're the bad people. And we were like, uh, oh. man, we were getting kind of nervous. But they were like, yeah, just like three days ago, they killed like five guys on this corner right where we are. And we are like, oh, holy shit. And they were like, man, you got to be really careful. Like, Wait. okay, we're going to try to fix your car now so you can leave as quick as possible. But things were taking a little longer because it was like we had to get some tubes and parts. And they had to like... Well, this is the great thing about Mexico. You can have a totally fucked up car, and, and anywhere you break down, there's mechanics jumping out, ready to help you, super friendly, like, ready to fix your stuff. We're like, okay, well, we don't have this part, so let's just make the part. And it's amazing. I mean, that's, that's what was cr- screwing me up in Europe. I have this super functioning car that I can't drive. And in Mexico, I have this falling apart car that I just have to get fixed every, like, every Two days, Wait, three days. So, so there were literally drug cartel guys walking around. With yeah, like hands. kind of like inspecting our car and walking around. And the guys were like, "Okay, finally it was starting to get dark. Okay, you're gonna drive to our house. You can sleep in front of our house, and they won't know you're there. And then in the morning, leave because if you leave in the night, they're gonna set up a barrier and like stop you and then rob you." And they're gonna kill you. And we were like, uh, "Okay, we don't think it's that scary, but yeah, we're pretty scared. So let's yeah, just like, it's uh, pretty scary, dude. Let's." And we slept in our car. I mean, our car. We always slept in in front of their house, just a little bit into the village. And they they got us all fixed up. And it, they we just gave them like ten. I think they they only asked. I don't know, like ten bucks. We gave them like fifteen because we were really thankful that they helped us so much. Uh, and then we were off on our way, and that that day, the next day, we made it to. Oh, I gotta find the name of this town. What? Tlaus? No. Again, I can figure that out later. But yeah. wow, wow, that's that's <laughs> insane, man. Yeah. Oh. But we never got robbed in Mexico except by the police. Oh, that's very helpful there. <laughs> It was like uh, our car, we were driving on a road, and it was, uh, if you have the letter K or something, or like number four, I don't remember what it was, you're not allowed to drive on Tuesdays on this road, 
because it's a ecological stuff. It's like to limit the amount of traffic on this road. And so it was like, uh, how the hell are we what? supposed to know this? And they were talking about impounding our car. What? And we kind of talked them down, but we still had to give them like $200 for breaking this law or they were going to take our car away. Yeah, because, because there's nothing... There's nothing else going on in Mexico that they have to worry about than the right car being on the road that day. Yeah, well, they were screwing a lot of people over, but I'm sure, like, we were already like, man, we can't really fight with these police. Like, we're, like, foreigners or something. Actually, I don't know what's safer to be a foreigner in Mexico or be the Mexican, because if you're a Mexican, the police can just steal you. They have that kind of authority. Like, there was was those students who went missing. uh, Yeah. And so a lot of my friends, we actually were, my friend at the gas station, he paid like uh, $40 for the gas, but he was only supposed to pay 20 So he went back like, hey, I gave you 40 And they were like, oh. no, you didn't. You gave me 20 And he was like, no, I gave you 40 Bad Come idea, on, give me my dude. money back. So then this guy like brought the police over and the police were like, what, you're trying to steal money from this gas station guy? And no, we gave him too much. And all my Mexican friends are starting to get really sweating and nervous. Like, oh my God, like, he's going to just steal our friend from us. Like, because the police can just do that. So It, it was nothing before, like, I'm going to go get back my $20. Friends like, no, no, don't, don't. No, he went back to go get his $20 because it was our... We'd been busking in the town center to earn enough money to buy gas. So this idiot guy, he lost our 20 bucks, and we were all like, shit. And so we were like, yeah, man, you got to go back and try to get it. Uh, oh, you were cursed? Yeah, first we were... I mean, we thought maybe like he could just go and find it or like he dropped it or he could ask the guy. But then finally they were like... Uh, nope. Police came and we were like just scared and... Finally got out of there. Yeah, officer, you could just keep the money. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, I guess let's fast forward a little bit. If I'm fucking up your timeline here, let me know. Okay. All right, you've done all this. All right, you formed formed the band. You check. You made album albums and music. Changed your name. You toured Europe, America, Mexico, one town in Canada, and and then then you moved to uh, South America. Yeah, well, my second tour in Mexico, this one that had these stories of the car, uh, I was in San Cristobal, and we have made our baby there. So our baby is hecho in Mexico. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, how long have you been married? Well, I got married two years ago in Kalamazoo by Bobby Hopewell. Oh, no, that's... that's Actually, my marriage started off as some sort of, like, extreme ironic hipster joke like and it's sort of like we don't believe in marriage so therefore we're gonna get married and then it was like oh we're pregnant and then it was like i guess we really are married but we never had a we've had three uh kind of uh weddings but they're not like real weddings they're just like parties with friends with musicians and with some food we never had that like real wedding stuff so i guess our plan was that after five years of our pretend real marriage then we're gonna have a real not legal marriage i mean uh, we're gonna have the real like official marriage then well at least here in america isn't us isn't so much just getting a marriage certificate as opposed to actually going through a ceremony that declares that you're married 
Yeah, I mean, we are married with this certificate, but part of the reason of getting married was so that you can have this party with, like, all your friends <laughs> okay. and family. <laughs> That's a good reason for that. That's actually the reason my wife wanted to marry me, was mainly to have the party. The party. My reason was because I wanted a German passport. Yeah, about... Oh, so that is her nationality there. She's German. She's got German and Chilean passports. Oh, okay. So uh, now that now you guys are hitched and have a child, mm. uh, how, how does that work? Like, are, are you able to go back and forth and live and work in these uh, countries? Yeah, I'm just really? barely managing to. I mean, she's a student and doesn't have an income, so I'm paying like 400 in child support. I mean, even though we're together... Because I'm not always with her. Like, she was uh, four months without me, and then I was three and a half months taking care of the kid every day while she was in school. So she, it was like, she's like 100% responsible for the kid for like three months, and then I'm like 90% responsible for the kid when I'm there with her. I mean, she changes his diaper sometimes and takes him sometimes, but like the general thing is like, I'm totally taking care of him because she needs a break. So we're kind of doing like a... We're together, but it's like co-parenting because my main job is doing touring, and I I'm trying to transition to like uh, being a more of a businessman or like doing you know making more money in like a more stationary sort of ways. But I'm still transitioning. So the last summer I was in Europe touring and working my ass off to save up like two three thousand dollars to be able to pay the child support when I'm in Chile because in Chile I'm making like 300 bucks or something a month. All right, is that is that your official residence right now? Yeah. Yep. I well, we are I supposed guess... to sign a lease for a year in Chile when we get back. Okay. All right, cuz I didn't notice that when I was like before I contacted you to ask for this interview, I uh I was just checking out your Facebook profile, and it says, lives in Ann Arbor. I'm like, wait, you moved back here? Really? <laughs> no, it's because on Facebook, if you put that you live somewhere, then you can invite people from that city to your events. Oh, So actually, okay. I always live wherever my next concert is. Oh. And, and if you've lived somewhere before, like Kalamazoo, then that's saved in your history of Facebook. So right now I have, when I go to invite friends, I can choose... Amsterdam, Istanbul, Budapest. It's an alphabetical order. Kalamazoo. Now Ann Arbor's in that list. So I just changed my residence to Ann Arbor like oh, nice. last week when I had a concert there. All right. Uh, I guess we should be wrapping this up. Because yeah. I know you got to play at 9 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. So uh, right now, like, like I said, you're playing tonight. You got two more shows coming up. What else is uh, going to go on in your life in the future? Any more albums, projects? Well, that effed up bus I was talking about in Mexico, I am flying the 22nd from Chicago to the Mexico City, and then I'm going to San Cristobal to make a two-week tour with a Mexican Balkan brass band. I'm going to play electric bass with them, and we're driving to Tijuana, where I hope that I can get my car sold because I can't sell it in Mexico because I'm a tourist visa. Then I'm touring with Laura Lackey. I talked about her earlier in this podcast. She is a guitarist and a singer and a songwriter of swing and jazz, old time. We're touring from San Francisco to New Orleans. 
And then I'll finish my tour back in Kalamazoo where I might be playing at an elderly home and I might have another show at Martini's and I might play at Old Dog. I don't know. I'll only be here for like three days before I go back to Chile. And I'll be in Chile with my kid uh, for four months and then I'm, I don't know, I'm thinking to come back to the U.S. I have not spent a summer in the U.S. since 2010. So I'm thinking to do my first summer in the U.S. Very nice. Yeah, because I'm working with Bert Ebright right now, and we're thinking to do something in the U.S. together. Oh, awesome. All right, right, uh, Charton, uh, what links would you like to drop? I know you you guys are on Facebook and Bandcamp. Oh, yeah. Well, right now, for a limited amount of time, I have my... Colombian Charlatans EP I recorded last year in Colombia. It's not completed. The mastering is not finished, and all of the parts of the music is not finished. But you can get a taste of my new compositions mixed with Latin rhythms, and it's I'm really into those songs, but they're not completed. But you can download them and listen to them on our SoundCloud. Uh, uh, that's that's the link, the SoundCloud. All right, and I'll uh, I'll link all that in the description. Oh, there's a music video I made last year in Chile called Chicha Chochek. That's probably my best music video right now. Oh, nice. And also get a taste of my new compositions that are Balkan and Latin and got a lot of influence from different places. Very nice. All right, uh, folks, that's uh, the podcast. Is there... Anything you like to add, Charton? No, just uh, thanks for having me back in the Park Trade Center in Kalamazoo. It's been a long time. I missed the art hop and getting some boxed wine from the art hop. But uh, this time I got some coffee, a lot of coffee. (laughs) And it was good to see some old friends from back in the day, 2010, 2009. Yeah, it was very nice talking with you and uh, glad to see you tonight. I usually try to come see you whenever you come to Michigan. Yeah. I think I missed out on two times, but it's probably due to work or whatever, but I am seeing you tonight, so that's going to be awesome. Excellent, yeah. All right, folks, uh, that's the third episode of the Garrett Schelke podcast. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Charton for for coming over and talking with me. Thanks, thanks to my homie Zach for hosting it, and uh, have a good day. And here's the outro song.